Before we get to this week's episode, I have some exciting news. We just wrapped up our summer issue of Digiday Magazine. This is only available to Digiday Plus subscribers along with unlimited access to our content online. Um, Otherwise, you'll only be able to read four articles a month, and that's not nearly enough. Uh, But to get you over the line, I have a special discount code for you. Um, And you don't want to miss it. It's a great deal. To subscribe right now for three months, it is just $49. Um, go to digiday.com slash subscribe and enter the code intro at checkout and you can check out uh, Digiday Plus for a mere $49 for three months. And then I hope you renew um, and get an annual subscription. Now on to the episode. There are many players hoping to be the next big thing in the future of TV. Netflix, Amazon, Roku, I could go on. Peter Kafka, uh, the host of Recode Media Podcasts, which is Vox's uh, wonderful podcast, um, has been covering this beat for a long time, and I decided to have him in to talk about it. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On today's episode, I talk with Peter about how Netflix remains the heavyweight of streaming, whether Disney can compete with Netflix, with Disney+, and much more. I hope you enjoy the episode. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I want to get something out of the way very quickly. Recode is now part of Vox.com, which is part of Vox Media. Do I have this right? You got it all. That's the hierarchy. Okay. What was the change that that happened? Because I know there was like an announce, a pre-announcement, and then an announcement, and then like people got snarky on Twitter of not understanding what exactly is is well, Recode. That's what Twitter's for. Yeah. One of the main use cases, plus telling you that's what you had for lunch it. and if it's raining. That's why I love it. It is raining, by the way. <laughs> the shortest version of the the announcement is you can find Recode stories at vox.com backslash Recode. More broadly, the idea is to bring you all the awesome reporting you know Recode for. And then I think the idea is we're going to try to take advantage of the bigger platform that Vox has to mm-hmm. reach more people and, and to tweak our stories slightly so we're reaching a larger audience, but still with the sophistication that the core Recode audience comes to us for. Okay. So you're going to be doing a lot more Game of Thrones explainers. I think I've hit my Game of Thrones quota <laughs> for 2019. No, but how is it going to change what you're doing? Because, I mean, you've been chronicling um, the media industry for a while. Like, how does, you know, being part of... Vox.com changed your purview? I don't know that it will. Okay. It might over time. Like, I, there is a sort of, I mean, what we definitely want, and we would have done this anyway, is move away from some of the trade stuff we had been doing for a long time. Less emphasis on funding rounds. Uh, if someone's on a board, we're probably very unlikely to write about that. We've been moving that way for a mm-hmm. long time, but this is going to sort of accelerate that. Uh, and to reach an audience that's interested in technology, that's interested in media, um, might not be able to tell you who John Stanky is. And then my job is to explain to them who John Stanky is and why he matters. Okay. So still insidery, but with a broader mandate. Yeah. I think you've summed that up correctly. Okay. You seem obsessed right now with the future of TV. And I have been for a long time. Yeah. Uh, what's happened is that the story I've been writing for about five to ten years has suddenly sort of manifested, which was what's going to happen one day when the internet and TV finally collide. Mm-hmm. And we're there now in 2019. We're seeing internet native video slash TV is a real thing. It's now mainstream. And now you're seeing all the big major TV companies and conglomerates responding to that by figuring out how to program differently, how to structure themselves differently, how to reach some of those people directly. All that stuff is is happening. And I've been sort of waiting for it to happen and predicting when it might happen and saying it's not going to happen for a while. And now we're here. Okay. So this is the streaming services against the incumbents. 
Yeah, and more broadly, right, if just still it's Facebook and Google and Netflix, I mean, they're all competing for your time and your eyeballs. They're all sort of playing in internet video to mm-hmm. different degrees. Um, so I don't write that much about Facebook video, but Facebook itself, right, is still a competitor to all these things. And Facebook video one day might be. Who's winning? Netflix. The entire narrative um, is everyone is responding to Netflix slash can Netflix be stopped slash does Netflix have an Achilles heel slash is is Netflix finally going to have real competition from Disney. If everyone is positioning themselves as the Netflix killer or this is the response to Netflix, even if maybe that's not 100% true, that means Netflix is winning. Okay. And Disney is the most likely competitor? I mean, Amazon seems to be going in a slightly different direction. Yeah, Amazon for a long time seemed like the logical sort of Netflix competitor. Now Disney is the by far most obvious Netflix competitor. There's a side to that where you can say, look, they're actually not a competitor. Most people are going to have both services. That's true. But still, Disney is the one that is is most sort of uh, dramatically overhauled its strategy to sort of take on what Netflix has accomplished. Okay. And so give me... Give me what they have going for them. They've got a lot of like tentpole franchises and stuff, but what is the, what's the challenge for them to be a real competitor to Netflix? The challenge for Disney is they're starting at zero, right? When they launch the service in November 12th of this year, they will have zero subs. Um, so they have to spend a lot to sort of build up that service, build up the marketing ca- capacity, build up the tech capacity. They've got to spend a lot just to, just to sort of like move from the starting block. And then they do have to convince either a Netflix sub or someone else to pay them $7. I think that's a pretty easy ask for a lot of people. Um, and I think they'll certainly get tens of millions of subs quite easily. And then the next step will be, all right, how do you get the next set of subs, the people who who, who form getting a lifetime supply of Disney content plus Marvel plus Lucas plus Pixar is not an automatic, yeah, I need that. How do you how do you move that? Um, and then what Netflix has done over the years and years and years has figured out how to, one, uh, generate a lot of content, uh, two, figure out how to make that content appealing to different groups of its 150 million subs, and three, convince Wall Street to let it sort of borrow an unlimited amount of money to fund all that content. Right. Is this sort of the revenge of content over distribution to some degree? I mean, because when you're talking about Disney, we're not we're talking about Disney as the biggest competitor, not Google, not Amazon, yeah. not Facebook. Um, and for for the longest time, it's been the content companies um, have been at a disadvantage to the technology companies which own the distribution. Yes, that's um, the big question, right? Is we're going to see content versus distribution because Disney is kind of all content. The distribution yeah. capacity sort of is is theoretical for now. Netflix has a ton of content, spending billions and billions and billions. We've reported on studies, and, and I think that just sort of fits with my general worldview, that actually, even though Netflix has amazing content, what they're really good at is giving you this container, this, this, this thing that works on any device you want, mm-hmm. that doesn't have ads, that it doesn't have the best content you've ever seen, but has plenty of it. And that experience alone is sort of worthwhile. As a side note, I've always sort of wondered, and I still do, why Google and Facebook haven't just spent billions of dollars to to acquire content. They certainly could. Yeah. I mean, why not, right? I mean, like, if you throw enough money at a problem and they have plenty of money, you, you can easily solve the content problem, right? I think the answer is they don't want to do it. There's some, it's some manner of 
there's obviously a business case that they have a problem with, but I think it's also philosophical and ideological that they fundamentally want to see themselves as distributors, as platforms, as sort of neutral purveyors of things that other people make. Um, you know, I, I just interviewed Neil Mohan, chief product officer mm-hmm. at YouTube. You know, that's a company that has com- repeatedly gone in and out of spending money on content. And even when they were spending a lot of money, it was very small by sort of regular content company standards. So I get that they don't really want to make their own movies and TV shows. My version of that question is why don't they take their YouTube TV product, which is basically a neutral, just sort of cable bundle? Mm-hmm. Why don't they defray, why don't they subsidize that? So it's instead of being 50 bucks, which it is now. Why don't they make it 20 bucks, 15 bucks, and burn billions of dollars in the process? But there'd be a real reason for them to do it, which is they would then be distributing TV to tens of millions of people, and they could actually have a business case for it, which is advertising, which they're mm-hmm. really good at it. So that's the fact that they're not willing to do that to me is super telling. Who's like the sleeping giant in this world? Because there's a lot of people that could be playing giant roles, people like Apple. But, you know, we're looking at Netflix and then Disney. I think it's weird to call Amazon a sleeping giant, <laughs> um, especially since they have been spending billions of dollars, but they're in the middle of a reset, so everyone's sort of ignoring them for now. And also, they've, they've been at it for a while without sort of any sort of visible sign of success outside of things like Transparent, which are great yeah. shows, and, appreci- and a niche audience But they audience won like a Game them. of Thrones, right? Isn't that the thing? Now, that that's the new theory, is, is we need to reach a much bigger audience, we need to move the needle, we need to reach... We, we, reaching Peter Kafka with Catastrophe, which is this great little niche comedy. Know. It's so good. Four seasons, you can binge right through it really quickly. <laughs> that doesn't move the needle. We need to reach more Prime Video, reach more Amazon Prime customers or convince more people to be Amazon Prime customers. And they operate at such scale that having niche TV wins is not going to do it for them. Okay. So Warner Media, I think, is another very interesting um, gathering of, of assets here. I mean, how do you see them going? Because, I mean, they've got a bunch of different pieces here um, that I'm not really certain how they all fit together. Yeah, join the club. Uh, everyone is doing head scratching about that. I mean, it seems like the view from AT and T, the new owners, is you have HBO. That's the main thing, and then you've got a bunch of other stuff that you can add on, sort of in a tier below HBO or a tier above HBO. So they've got Warner Brother movies. Is there a way to mine that library and, and sort of add that to some sort of HBO Plus package? By the way, they've already sold the acts, the rights to those movies to lots of people for a long time, so you can't turn that over. You can't you can't swap that in overnight. Um, also, they view Turner and uh, TBS, TNT and TBS, and all those assets as things you can somehow combine there. Um, when Richard Plepler left slash got pushed out of HBO when I was calling around at AT and T, some folks said, "Look, obviously, what we ought to be doing." This is prior to the Game of Thrones season starting up. We ought to be running the old seasons of Game of Thrones on Turner on a loop constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. obviously what we should be doing. Um, and that doesn't work in the old paradigm, but it's definitely going to work in the new paradigm. And that's the kind of thing we want to do. I think it was Stenky who had said this thing, like, you know, we got to create a lot more yeah. stuff. What I think is interesting with the HBO, and everyone said, oh, no, they're, they're going to yeah. come. It was gonna that, that, that message got a little. Texas to ruin yeah. our HBO. It, that message got a little warped, but in the end, that, that hey, what are the AT&T. Said tremors through Brooklyn. What are the AT&T <laughs> Texas guys going to do when they deal with the New York and Burbank guys? And sure enough, actually, that, that is a real sort of culture clash. They are less than a year into it. 
they can muddle mm-hmm. their way through it. It might work out in the end, uh, but yes. But I look at like Game of Thrones, and you've written about the Game of yeah. Thrones, um, sort of a content industrial complex. Yeah, and even been part of it. You've dipped yes. in a little bit. Sure, of course. Writing about the Game of Thrones industrial, it's like a Schrodinger's cat. Like you, you, you're involved in it. As but soon if you, as you, write if about you think it. about like Game of Thrones um, as part of HBO, and then Game of Thrones, um, if it was part of like Disney or something like this, and how they milk assets and IP yeah. in every like, I mean. Star Wars is going to be with us until yeah. we all are, are not. And no by the way, Disney now is sort of can says, well, actually, we milk Star Wars a little bit too much. We're <laughs> going to pull back a tiny bit. We're not going to crank out a new Star Wars movie every year. Right. But you look at like Game of Thrones and how it, in some ways, it was an under monetized yeah. asset. Like if this was, if Game of Thrones was in the hands of Disney, I mean, my God. We would have, we would have like theme parks and and all sorts of different things. Yeah, I don't know how the incest plot plays out, but yeah, <laughs> no, they definitely would. And by the way, again, like Disney uh, unabashedly a few years ago, Ben Fritz wrote a great piece about a book about this. I didn't quite get it until I read the book. Like, not only did it like double and triple down on flagpole franchise movies, like everyone does, but they got out of every other business when they they got out of every other movie making business. They said we are only exclusively making. Yeah. giant themed things that like if we it can't can be a billion dollar plus franchise that can not only make movies but th- rides and etc we're not doing yeah. it that's all they do and they have been phenomenally successful at it so like watching at&t try to emulate that makes sense yeah but i mean i was watching you can see the, the logic in it. I, I watched the behind the thrones thing last night oh you're and in like, it huh? um I dabble. And I was like, why have they not been doing this all along? Like, why have they not been even, you look at all the like, um, and I did, they did the little thing with the ringer, but like the complex that grew up around it, that ecosystem. And they were just, okay, we're going to make a show. Um, and it seems I can understand from an AT&T perspective, like, Hey, not only do we have to create a lot more content off the, we have to create a lot more content, but a lot more content off of these franchises. Yeah. Why don't we own the ancillary why is the ringer benefiting more from this than we are? They're not really, but you know, right. why don't we capture some of that? It's a very obvious sort of thing to do. And it's not like HBO is above it entirely. Like if you've walked through an airport recently, you've seen what's a, it's a Johnny Walker, White Walker spinoff yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. And that existed prior to AT&T getting there. Got it. There's an Omega gang game of Thrones beer. So they've certainly have franchised this out in some way, but they didn't, they didn't just tear it apart. A lot of this is getting people to pay directly, yeah. right? So what's the, the when you're looking at the future of TV, what is the bifurcation versus ad-free versus ad-funded ad streaming? Yeah, I think that's the real story, right? What, what do people value enough to pay for directly and what don't they care about or what are they happy about getting for free with ads? Um, you know, we've been dealing with a version of this in the news ecosystem for a very long time. Right, which is some people passionately care about their local news, not many of them. Some people care a lot about the New York Times or, or you know, flying a flag against Trump, so they'll pay for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And there's a big swath of people who don't need any of that, and they're happy to get just random free stuff inserted in their Facebook feed or in their elevator monitor, wherever it is, and they just don't care. Um, I think there'll be a version of that for TV, which is you really care about Game of Thrones, or you Netflix is cheap enough that you don't have to worry about sort of what you're getting. You'll pay for that, a couple other things. Maybe mm-hmm. you, you care passionately about sports, and that's a whole other thing. And there's a lot of stuff you just don't care about. And I think what we haven't had and we're going to have is this reckoning for a lot of content companies where they've been part of a bundle and they've been protected by that bundle. And when they're exposed as sort of, do people want to pay for this or not? 
directly when they can, mm-hmm. uh, they're valued. They're, it's going to turn out they, they're, they're way overvalued, right. even today. I want to take a quick break here. With the mission of making the web a first-class platform that delivers results, Pantheon is the world's best web ops platform, one that gives superpowers to web teams, allowing them to take control of their websites and work in an agile fashion to win in the dynamic digital world. With Pantheon, marketers and developers deliver results by iterating quickly, learning and experimenting with their websites in the same way they do with virtually every other tool in their MarTech and development stacks. Pantheon powers over 285,000 sites, and it is trusted by thousands of marketing and development teams around the world. Learn why at Pantheon.com. Dot io slash digiday that is pantheon.io slash digiday now back to the episode well when the bundle got broken up i mean i think we all sort of feel it now like i mean we're, we're like wait we're, we're paying more like the whole idea of the bundle is we're paying for stuff that we don't want but now that we're paying for stuff we want um our bills haven't gone down. And I think so there's like, a big group of people who consume a lot of media and then write about a lot of media and say, there's a standard sort of thing. We go, well, if I assemble all the stuff I have to yeah. get well, my cable bundles, I'll pay more. But that's a pretty small segment, even though it's a loud one. I think most people, and you can just see them in terms of what they're actually paying for or not paying for, are very happy to not pay for a lot of that stuff. They don't care about a lot of the things that are on the cable dial. And it's not just they're cutting the cord, right. right? They just never signed up. They just don't need most of what's on cable TV. But there is going to be like there already is right now a rebundling that's taking place for some people. I just think I think you know, and you're see, what you're seeing is all these skinny bundles that came out. Mm-hmm. They're all starting. You know, they didn't have Discovery. Now they've added Discovery. They didn't have this network. Now they're adding it. So they're gradually adding that back in. Some folks argue, oh, that's that's evidence that people want the bundle. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that's them saying our subgrowth has slowed. Maybe we can get a few more people if we add Discovery in here. Um, I think that I think there's a real limit to how much how much of the bundle you can replicate. Okay, and linear TV, despite its many um, many prognostications that it, it's dying, seems to be doing just fine. It's going to keep going for a long time. I was on stage with Randall Stevenson, AT and T CEO, and pointed out that his most profitable business remains his landline business. Yeah, right. So there's a lot of people who are going to be watching CBS for a long time. Okay, so that's like. When you're looking ahead, like five years, don't believe anyone who says that, you know, the the linear TV business is is, is going. going it's to not zero. a it's not a high growth business, and I think if you see what what the Murdoch family is doing with the remnants of, of the Fox company, right, mm-hmm. which is now basically Fox News plus uh, plus Fox Network, um, that's going to be a live sports and events broadcast network, and that's what they're spending their money on. And I guess they'll have some other programming, but you're going to go there to watch pro wrestling and NFL and various other live things. And that's what, that's what they're going to pay for. Yeah. On the other side, uh, with a traditional media magazine media, um, we're, we're recording this right after, uh, sports illustrated, um, got bought by authentic brands group. What um, a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to call it authentic. No, nope, you don't want to call anything call authentic, but it's a really interesting deal as far as, uh, you know, what, where magazines go. And I know you've written about, you know, Condé Nast, our neighbors here who are are trying to figure out their future. And the fact that basically a non-publishing company decided to buy SI for assets that have nothing to do really with its publishing. Right. They're saying, we like the brands. We want to exploit the brands. 
That's the yeah. value. So there's two things. One is medical SI, clinics, <laughs> medical clinics, Peter. <laughs> SI took a very long time to sell. Like a lot of people who were more traditional media buyers looked at it. People who thought they might be a traditional media buyers. There was a guy, there was a former Milwaukee buck who now owns a Coca-Cola bottling operation who was sort of the leading contender for a long time. And he wanted to sort of run it like a magazine. So you end up with a guy with a company who says, the value here is not the magazine. It's not the website. It's the brand. Can we stick this on? Did you really say medical clinics? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's telling. It's also, by the way, where we've been headed for a long time. Yeah. the four, <laughs> There are a lot of people. Playboy, Forbes, Fortune. Yeah. There's a bunch of these brands that prob- in many cases might be worth more outside the U.S. than in them. Um, or like that's thinking and when people have been buying them, that's what they think they're buying. Uh, plus and or yeah. nostalgia, plus and or in the, the case of someone like Mark Benioff, there's just only a handful of these magazines. Mm-hmm. So there were, you know, anyone can go buy a fancy car, buy a fancy house, but only one person gets to own Time magazine. Right. Um, but even something so like Fortune, that. I know, um, you know, uh, you had Alan Murray, right, yep. on your podcast, uh, talking about how, you know, they're not maybe mostly, but they're a big chunk of them as an events business. Though. Yes, events business, and I think again the, their owner, whose name I can't get right, yeah, so I don't even try. I think thinks that's a brand you can exploit in Asia and do a lot more with. And I think I think that one of Fortune's most significant businesses today is a conference they put on in China. Right. Let's talk about the platforms really quickly. I mean, uh, you had Neil Mohan on uh, recently uh, talk about. YouTube and they've yeah. been involved in their controversies and and Facebook's got their Pelosi video that yeah. they're um, they're actually being out front about, which I thought was you know kind of interesting, um, explaining their rationale, much to uh, the consternation of many people. This does not seem like in issues that are going to go away anytime soon. No, it feels like we've been deep in this for a couple years, but since post since the since the election. And I think now it's just, it's baked in, right? In the past, this stuff was there, but it was niche. I would write about it. Yeah. Um, because Facebook had taken down the picture, the famous Pulitzer Prize winning video, uh, video photo of the yeah. Cambodian girl running from a napalm attack. I'm probably getting some of the details wrong. Um, and Facebook took it down and they had to get shamed by, I think, the prime minister of Norway into putting it back up. But that was a small story. Mm-hmm. Um, and these now, just because we've we've now politicized the whole thing, yeah. that's not going away. But it ties together this this they want to be they want to have it both ways they want to be platforms they don't want to make judgment calls even though algorithms make judgment calls yep. it just is one step removed and it's just the the water keeps getting warmer I, I i allow that it is complicated to figure this stuff out and i allow that it is more complicated than any one particular person yelling it's more complicated Twitter than a tweet is. i mean it you is, have 280 it, characters now it's pretty easy it to, is more complicated than tweet on the other hand i don't like i don't think the pelosi video is a tough call to make it's clearly designed to misinform people you said you want to stop that so whether you delete it or whether you push it down you should come out and say we don't want this content on facebook whether it comes from russians or the president mm-hmm. of the united states um what do you think the reticence is i mean these are smart people I think they're smart. Um, they are also, you know, these are companies that are run by engineers, um, and they have a very engineering mindset. And I've sort of watched the gears clicking, and mm-hmm. um, they do think it's very complicated. And once you make one decision on a Pelosi video, how do you handle the ten thousand other videos? And you know, someone someone will say, "Oh, well, you know, how does this compare to a, a Trevor Noah a Daily Show clip where he puts together different videos?" Yeah. Like, well, it's it's clearly different. Like it's not complicated. Um, this is not a graduate well, ethics you know seminar. Well, you know how it is. I mean, they always go to edge cases, right? If it's like, well, and then it's like you play it out right. to the 
And who do you want making these decisions? You get that sort of discussion. But I think this is this goes back to their very. Fa- I mean, there's the cynical version, which is this is core to their business prospects, right? Not not be, um, and legal protections. If if they can say we're we're people are just uploading it, we're not touching it. Um, but I do think ideologically, this is this is truly how they see themselves. Whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as sort of neutral platforms. So idea ideologically meaning like they they just really truly believe that they're about connecting people to information and whether that information is good or bad people make that decision yes and what they won't say out loud anymore but they definitely used to say inside the company i think they probably still do is they're willing to live with bad effects because they think overall again ideologically it is much better for human beings plus computers to figure out what how to distribute this stuff than it is for politicians or New York media people, this is mm-hmm. part of the disdain, to make those decisions about what you see and don't see. Do you think Twitter's been getting a pass in all of this? I mean, they haven't been getting a pass, but at the same time, like, I do feel like, um, and maybe it's because reporters love Twitter, um, that uh, Facebook and YouTube get beat up Twitter gets more. tons of grief. They just haven't gotten about this one for whatever reason. It's yeah. easier to pile on Facebook, but they, you know, they spend all day, every day, uh, trying to argue, wh- trying to explain why, they ha- why this abhorrent person is allowed to be on Twitter, <laughs> why this terrible tweet should be up there. And then it, they sort of stumble around and take one down and they put Jack Dorsey up on stage and he fumbles around. Um, but they're in the same boat. Okay. Uh, so final topic is um, you wrote about Vice being being written down by Disney to, I guess, their stake in it near zero. Zero um, for them. Zero. Zero. Um, not good. Yeah. There's, um, it's a, you know, I, I wrote, I mentioned this, I think it got lost in the way people picked it doesn't up. Doesn't mean it's There's still zero. value. It's, there's TPG, for instance, is going to yes. get something out of it. Sure. Absolutely. But I think it's it's symbolically part yes. of a, a reckoning that has that has been happening over the last couple of years when it comes to um, the promises of digital media. Why did these companies, um, your own notwithstanding, no, put not, there. not live up to the expectations that were put on them as far as you know these investment returns? They pitched themselves, and this is my company included. Um, as companies that were going to do a bunch of different things broadly. And they some, sometimes they like being in the same bucket together and sometimes they don't, yeah. but broadly they're in the same bucket. Um, we are, and they went to media companies specifically, right, for investment, whether it's NBC, Disney, Fox, yeah. Time Warner. Um, we are going to solve all of your TV problems. We, you can't reach the millennial video viewer, we can reach them. The, the elusive millennial male, we know how to find them. We know how to work with the platform companies, particularly Facebook. We've unlocked Facebook. We're deep in the Facebook ecosystem. They work with us. We're going to solve all those problems. Billions of video views. Um, in Vice's case, they went above and beyond said, we are so genius. Our brand is so amazing that we can get millennials who don't pay for TV to pay for TV to watch Viceland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think that's the, 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 the worst sin. Because you can tell a Murdoch or a Bucus that you've got great reach and your brand's really important, and they might believe you, and they don't really care or don't want to investigate sort of where your page views are coming, but they can see what a zero point zero is. Yeah, the Nielsen rating. They, go, oh, they right. know that. All right. Well, we can. We you know we we had a we had a low rated cable channel prior to this. We didn't need to pay mm-hmm. you to produce it for us. So every part of that pitch now so in twenty nineteen doesn't investors work. Made bad. I mean, these were hedging strategies. They were hedging right? strategies, and now, but every part of that pitch now has gone away. Right? No one, no one cares whether you can unlock Facebook. No one wants to be part of your uh, advertising-based business. Um, you have now proven uh, 
quite well that that you're not any better at reaching millennials on via your video platform than anybody else. And by the way, you're all coming to NBC, Fox, HBO, et cetera, saying, we'd like to make a TV show for you. Can we make a TV yeah. show for you? And notwithstanding the merits of the different shows everyone's making, we're making some great ones at Fox. Um, they all, that's what they do professionally. Mm. So, so you get to all that and all these companies in theory could have been standalone companies, but really were probably going to be meant to be acquired by NBC, Fox, Time Warner. Now they're all looking at it and saying, we don't, we don't need any of this problem. We have our own problems and these don't fix our problems. So these are no longer assets we want to acquire. Okay. So the future then is becoming what production studios for the most part? For production studios, it's why you have this consolidation talk because it's kind of a shrug saying, oh, what else can we do? I mean, we can keep doing what we're doing. We could have a lower headcount and maybe generate more revenue. Okay. Um, a little grim. Who, who's, hey, I love grim. Yeah. Um, who's best positioned outside of Vox? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, BuzzFeed has a story. It says their commerce business is, is doing mm-hmm. surprisingly well. Um, they probably still have more people working at BuzzFeed than they'd like to admit. Um, they still really don't have a business in BuzzFeed News, which is a um, very good operation that produces lots of great journalism, but um, wouldn't exist probably in any other company right now, just in terms of the number of people working there. Um, you got Vice, that's going through a total overhaul. Uh, those are the three big ones, right? Yeah. And then you've got a, you've got a second tier that are obviously going to consolidate okay, or, one fi- or, or, or be sold off if they haven't been sold off already. Right. One, one final topic is this pivot to paid when it comes to journalism. Um, you are not part of a sort of paid tier. Um, freely available. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're looking to reach, I think, a broader audience, particularly now as part of Vox. Um, how do you see this? I mean, because we see everyone, not everyone, but many um, journalistic enterprises coming up with these subscription models. Um, and I guess in the same way as when we're talking about streaming, the question is like, how, how much is too much? Like how many, how many are people going to subscribe to? Yeah, you're not. And, and by the way, so, so it's, it's all the same question, right? Because you may be thinking discreetly about, well, I spend this much on TV programming and this much on music and this much on journalism, but your bank, it's all the same. Right. Credit card statement, it's all the same. So you are, you are thinking about whether you're going to pay for Spotify and the New York Times or Spotify and Hulu. So that's your, that's your call. What do you care passionately about? What do you have to have? Mm-hmm. Sadly for us, I think in most cases, it's not journalism. You're happy enough to get free stuff. Um, we know that big, broad publications like the Times will be okay. Local, there's no answer for. Um, it's super grim. Um, I'm, the thing I'm skeptical about right now is it's not so much that there's too many people asking for subscriptions. I think that's a problem for if you're a Condé Nast or a New York magazine yeah. and you're sort of late to asking for subscriptions to a Vogue or a New York when I've already signed up for the Times and the Post. Um, I think the bigger but problem is not substitution products, are they? No, it's just that I'm already paying, yeah. right? And by the way, I'm I'm like I'm sure I'm one of a very tiny number of people, but I'm definitely playing with the Apple News Plus thing to go. Oh, I I can just get GQ. Yeah, it's good enough for ten bucks. It's fine. And they could be training people. It's, yeah, I don't think they one. are. It's a muddled product, but um, no, I think the real problem. I mean, not the real. Problem, I think one of the problems that a lot of these publications have is they are ad-based businesses. They are trying to tack on a subscription business. And I think either, you know, just adding a paywall after five clicks or 10 clicks is going to be rough. And I think the thing that a lot of them want to do, which is what's a thing that we can sell you that we don't have to spend much money on that we can put behind a paywall 
and still keep doing our core business because we don't yeah. really want to put, we still make money from advertising, or at least we generate revenue from that. We don't want to give that up. So what's sort of a bonus we can sell you without fully pivoting our business? And I think without making that really hard turn, it's going to be tough. Okay. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. I hope you head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This helps us uh, get discovered by new people. If you have any feedback, you can always uh, email me. I am brian at digiday.com or you can tweet me. I am at bmarcy on the Twitter. Um, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.